join me in a quick prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, be with us now. Be our vision. Be our wisdom, our ruler, our guide. May we never sit in the captain's seat of our life and always be led by you. And let us be led by you as we open your word this morning. Let nothing stand in the way of hearing your truth proclaimed. Let us come to your feet. Let us worship you with full hearts. Let anything that comes from my mouth be totally of you, and anything that is not be stricken from the record. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yet, from this vantage point up here, (laughs) it looks really cool. I mean, you guys, this is a a nice, full sanctuary. I mean, yay. Amen, right? Yes. So welcome, welcome. Uh, Glad that you are here. My name is Mike, if you haven't seen us in a while, so thank you for being here. And welcome to all those who are at home watching us uh, on the live stream. We are in the middle of a, um, of a sermon series called Preaching Through the Scriptures. Uh, we are in the book of Titus now, still in Paul's letters now. We're coming towards the end of those, and then we're going to get a couple more right there. And then it's the book of Revelation, and we then have gone through all of these books, you know, week by week with a few breaks here and there. I do hope, I do hope that each week you have had a chance to at least survey these books. I know. Let's, who are we kidding? I'm sure there's a lot of us who did not, you know, read through every page, self-included, right? But I understand that. Um, I get that. But I do hope that um, through this journey, you know, the scriptures opened up to you a little bit, even in this time of pandemic, uh, that where we needed God's guidance the most, uh, that you saw it here within these scriptures. And maybe through the pandemic, you, uh, like me, watched a lot of TV. Uh, hands up. How many people have watched uh, more TV than you should? through this pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. My wife and I, we love cooking shows uh, because I love food. And so cooking shows are a lot of fun and I sit there and I try to think of what I could do better or make it better, you know, totally humble. Uh, But anyways, but you know, the thing is about cooking shows and any shows on TV, our TV airwaves are, are typically flooded with reality TV shows. Reality TV shows of all sorts of kinds, and, and, and they're just everywhere. I remember when reality TV came out, and the old Hollywood guard was looking at it thinking, absolutely not, this is not art. And you know what? They're kind of they're right. It is not art. It is definitely a, a train wreck of sorts that we all don't want to watch, but absolutely do watch for whatever train wreck is about to happen with these people. And the problem with reality TV is it's not real. It is almost never, and you can take that to the bank, it is almost never real. They say it's real people, and I guess it is real people, but there's producers and directors and editors, and there are things that happen within this TV show because the producers, the directors, the editors, the network, the people who make money off of this want to make sure that whatever is put out is a show that people don't click off of, and so they want the train wreck. They They want us to create a narrative about these people based off of what they do and how they act to certain situations that they present. And when my wife and I watch cooking shows, it gets a little old anymore because there's always that, that one cook that is, that's going to mess up and the music changes. And we're all supposed to be on our edge. You know, will they overcook this pot roast? I don't know. How can they ever recover? They go to commercial break. They come back from commercial and then it's all sunshines and roses and it's the beautifulest pot roast you've ever did see. And how wonderful is that? The point is, we all watch for the train wreck, the oops moment, the I know I could do better than them. And as I said, we draw conclusions based off of that reality of what was presented. We make judgments about them. We create a narrative of who these people are. In the end, guys, it's just 
It's just a show. The same can be said for us in our walk with Christ. The same can be said for the world as they watch Christians. The world watches Christians and how they act, how they speak, what they do, what they say, especially when not in church. They, the world, unbelievers, they want to see the train wreck in our lives. They want to see us curse. They want to see us lie and cheat. They want to see us cut people off in traffic. And I all too often give them that show. They want to get us into traps of lust and, and things of infidelity. They want to see how we spend our money frivolously, what we say and what we don't say about current events. And then they make up narratives on what they perceive to be true about Jesus Christ and the Christian faith based off of the reality that they perceive of his followers. And my friends, that's the wrong show. The problem with that is the real reality is that the Christian faith is made up of a bunch of happy messes. People who have the proclivity to sin and make mistakes just like unbelievers do. And so when the world watches, if they base their truth of who Christ is based off of what you and I do solely, they're watching the wrong show. They're putting together a false narrative of who Jesus is, the effectiveness of his grace, the transformation of his love based off of, of the sinful things that we do because that's the, really the only thing that gets shown, right? The gospel of Christ doesn't need our help. It stands alone for the truth that it is. But because that we are sent into this world, as we learned in the Gospel of John, that when Jesus prays for his disciples, he says, don't take them out of the world, send them into the world. Because we are sent into this world, then there is a call on our lives to live in such a way that proves the effectiveness, the reality, the truth of the grace and the love and the transformation that we have in Jesus Christ. We open up this book to Titus. And Paul has written letters to churches and to people in these churches. And the funny, it's not really funny, it's actually sad. The sad thing is, is all these churches seem to be struggling with a lot of the same stuff. The culture around them is bleeding into the congregation. People can't loosen off their old lives, and so they try to marry that together with this new life that they have in Christianity. Leaders are falling into that, that cultural side of things, and they, and they begin to preach a false testimony of who Jesus is, and people are starting to believe it. This is over and over and over and over again. And it even, I mean, the, the sad thing is, is that it, it plagues us today as well. So Paul writing to Titus is no different. He sends this guy, Titus, into the land of Crete. It's where we get the word Cretans from. And that Crete is just this no good place. And there was a church there, and the church is starting to fall into those same categories. And leaders that were at that church are starting to fall into those same categories of, of preaching a false testimony of who Jesus is, of, of, of living out a life that gives a false narrative of the effectiveness of Christ. And so Paul sends Titus in. He sends, go in there and, and see what's going on. Raise up new leaders, just like he told Timothy, raise up new leaders, but don't just raise them up. Raise them up and teach them sound doctrine. 
Teach them the gospel for the way it really and truly is. And he even says to Titus, which is a little bit different than Timothy, at least it's more focused here in Titus. He says to him, do not engage in foolish quarrels with these naysayers. You know, if you have a fight with them, that's fine, but don't get sucked in. Because the importance of what Paul is teaching Titus is you need to go there and stand on the gospel alone and stand on the truth alone. And if you get into these foolish arguments, there's a high probability that you're going to start to lose some self-control and you're going to get angry. And in your anger, you are going to show out and be foolish and you're going to confirm for all of these eyes that you are not a man full of peace. You are not a man after God's heart. You don't have humility and forgiveness and all the things that you say that comes with it. See, I got you. And so Paul says, don't do that. Stand on the truth alone. Elevate self-control. And then this word comes into play. He says to Titus, live a life full of integrity. Chapter 2, verses 7 through 8, this is what Paul says to Titus. Show yourself in all respects to be a good model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity and dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may not be put to shame, excuse me, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. He tells them to live a life of integrity. And when I read that, I got so struck by the word integrity and what it means. And, and, and as I read through Titus, what we're going to look through today, we're going to look at this word, what it means to, to live a life of integrity and why Paul would elevate this up for Titus in the midst of the naysayers, in the midst of the false narrative that is going on. Why is it important for us to live a life of integrity? So today, my word for you is... And what Paul teaches Titus is that if you have a faith in Christ, we are called to be faithful and true and to live a life of Christ-centered integrity. Because the naysayers, the reality TV watchers of this world, they watch and they want to render Christ and his message. They want to render religion and what we do in this room to be ineffective and foolish and not real. Just like it was happening in Titus's time. And Paul says, don't give them that chance. Be faithful, be true. Live a life of Christ-centered integrity. So, let's jump in. What is Christ-centered integrity? What is this? What, is, what does that look like? And to do that, we have to define the word in- integrity. And so when I want to define the word in- integrity, I go and I go to the Greek and I, I click on that word and do a word search of, of, of what all this means. And in the English, we would think integrity is one, like to, to stay integral, to stay on the path. In the Greek, it goes just a little bit deeper with this word. Not only does it mean that, but it means without defilement, this word that Paul uses. To live a life without defilement. To live a life without deterioration. Let's try to say that three times fast. Without a life of deterioration. This word integrity means without deterioration, without defilement, and it is based on, it is united in the truth of Scripture of sound doctrine. Holding fast 
to the truth of scriptures and what they teach without wavering and without defilement and without deteriorating. Integrity also means purity without corruption. What I mean by this, what Paul says in uh, Titus 1, 15 through 16, to the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and the unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and they're unfit for any good work. That was Titus 1, 15 through 16. To the defiled, nothing is pure. They don't have integrity. They don't stand on sound doctrine. They are defiled. And not only that, their message deteriorates. Their message deteriorates. Their message, the, the, the thing that they put out about who Christ is, if they're believers and don't have a life of integrity, that message falls apart. And so Paul says to Titus, don't do that. Show yourself to be a good model Live a life full of integrity and dignity to the truth. And he goes on. He doesn't just leave Paul there, or Titus there. He goes on to explain then what do the qualities of living a life of Christ integrity look like. Now listen, Titus, the letter in Titus is only three chapters. And Paul does me as a preacher no favors because... It is almost repetitive information that we just saw in Timothy as well. So trying to find a message in this was, you know, quite the challenge. But anyways, as Paul is talking this about living a life of integrity, he does outline for Titus, what does that look like? So remember, Titus's charge from Paul is to go to Crete, raise up leaders. And so in order to do that, he says, your leaders and yourself, they need to live these lives of integrity. And this is what it looks like. In chapter uh, 1, Paul talks about raising up these leaders, these elders. And he explains to to Titus what elders ought to live, how they should live. He says this, verse 7, an overseer, an elder, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy uh, for gain but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, that's that integrity part, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. It is important, Paul says to Titus, in living your life as integrity, especially as a leader and an elder in the church, that you try to walk this path of righteousness as much as you can. That way that your teaching, what you teach about Christ and how you live this message out does not see any defilement or deterioration. That people don't look at you and say, what do you know about Jesus? I've seen you do these things. And so Paul says to Titus, it's really, really, really important to try your best to live this life as in, uh, with as much as integrity and truth as you can for the same reasons, because people are watching and they're going to make a, a decision on who Jesus is based off of your life, how hypocritical it might be. Now, of course, the, the problem with that is that we're all a bunch of hypocrites, right? So, but that doesn't nevertheless take us off this path in any way, shape, or form. Paul doesn't stop there. He, he talks about elders uh, as in leaders of the church. He also tells Titus about the wiser generation. So any of you in this room who feel you are of the wiser generation, Paul has a message for you. 
as well. So let's look at that in terms of what it means to live a life of integrity. In chapter 2, he says this to Titus. Teach what accords with sound doctrine. That's repetitive. This is a repetitive thing through Titus. Then he says this, older men. So not elders as in like an office. Older men, wiser, are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves, to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train young women to love their husbands and children, and vice versa, uh, to be self-controlled, pure. This says working at home. What this means in terms is, is keeping, keeping a home and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. Now, before you throw eggs at me and say, what is that supposed to mean? Please understand that what we understand about how the relationship in the family between husband and wife are supposed to work is that mutual submission to each other. So when Paul says wives be submissive to their husbands, he also says to husbands, love your wives as Christ loves loves you. There is a, a mutual thing that's happening there. What he's saying to the wiser generation is set an example for the younger. Set an example for younger. Don't you also go into all of these things because young eyes are watching. We have three children. Our oldest, Clara, soaks everything up. Everything up. Do you know how hard it is to make sure that my tongue is guarded in front of a four-year-old? Very much so. I am saved by the grace of Christ. Thanks be to God, right? But the other day, I had her upstairs, and we were getting her ready for school. And she wanted to pick out her clothes. And so she picks out clothes. You OSU fans, you'll be very proud. She picked out a gray top that kind of was a little baggy there down at the bottom, and scarlet red pants. And these scarlet red pants had two white hearts on the front of the shins. It was so very cute. But the problem was that these clothes, they were a little baggy on her. So they had a ruffle on the, on the skirt, and then the, the pants that kind of bunched up down at the end. And I looked at her, and I said, oh, honey, I am so sorry. We are a Penn State family. So there's that. Uh, but then also, then also, I got to make sure I, I stay in camera. But then also, um, you, you, it, this, this, these clothes just don't necessarily, they don't, they don't fit. And then I said under my breath, I said, you kind of look like a bag lady. So we change clothes, we get her all done, I get her downstairs, I have her do breakfast, and then my wife comes down, she's done feeding Karis, our youngest, and she's doing her thing, and I'm getting uh, Clara ready for school, and then all of a sudden, Carrie says to me, did you tell Clara she looked like a bag lady? (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) I was so shocked that she picked that up. I didn't say it that loud. I didn't make a big deal of it. But boy, she picked it up and she picked it up and took it to her mother and ratted her dad out. (laughs) But it should be no surprise because at the same time, Clara and Caleb, they, they see what we do in terms of how we go to church, how we pray. All the things. When we sit down at the dinner table, if we get started on eating, because, you know, when you're trying to get a family of five to the table, it's not nice, neat, and organized. Let's see that reality show, right? And so when we sit down at the table, we may, you know, possibly just get to starting to eating because getting to the table was quite the chore. And then my son, pray, pray, and, then, and, and, and he bows his head, and he does all these things. They watch. Our f- young families watch parents. But my friends of the older and wiser generation, the young generation, also watches you. 
And Paul knows this. And so he says to Titus, as you're going in there to clean house, to get this house back in order again, raise up your leaders full of integrity and hear the things that they need to not do and do do. Do do. <laughs> and then to the elders, to, to, uh, to the wiser generation, instruct them. This is what they ought to do. And then, then there's, there's things in there as he's talking about husbands and wives and kids. Families, family units need to do this as well. And you know why? Because this false message that is going throughout this land and in this church, it is impacting the church leadership, it is impacting the congregation, and it is impacting families. Does that sound familiar? A false narrative of who Christ is, a near Christ, a Christ that is more glamorous, a Christ that is more digestible, a Christ that is more not in my face. Yeah, I can take that, but as Paul says, it's uprooting everything. So stand, be faithful, be true. Be faithful, be true, because the things of this world are always, always looking to diminish the power and the effectiveness of the grace of Christ. The world is always looking to diminish the power and the effectiveness of the grace of Christ. Why? Because as Paul said, to the defiled and the unpure, everything is defiled and unpure. And so for the defiled and the unpure, the people who don't believe and don't want to believe, if the grace of Christ is true, then they have to confront the consequences of their denial. And so they try to seek to diminish it as much as they can. Because that is easier to do Following our Christ that suits my own needs is easier to do than confronting the depths in which I was saved by the grace of Christ. Because when I do that, then I have to confront my own sin. So Paul says, be faithful, be true, live. He doesn't say this, I'm saying this. What I see in Titus is be faithful, be true, live a life full of Christ-centered integrity so that we give the world a true narrative of who Jesus Christ is versus this reality show that they've put together based off of some of the mistakes that we have done. So you may ask, how is this possible? How can this be possible? If one hand you say that we have a proclivity to sin, we have an inclination to sin, we have an inclination to mess it up, that in this room we are all a bunch of dirty skunks, but God loves us anyways. If you're saying that is true, then how then can we do what Paul is saying to live this life every day, each day, walking in lives of truth and faith and integrity? How does this happen? And everyone, you all should know the moral of the story. It was what was last week. How does something like that happen? Jesus. Let's say that again. You didn't say it behind the mask. How does all that happen? Jesus. Right. Thanks be to God. There are two ways that this happens that I see in Titus. One, it happens living a life of integrity is possible because of the grace in which we have received and by the power of the Holy Spirit. By the grace in which we have received and by the power of the Holy Spirit. What do I mean by that? It is possible because Paul says in Titus 2, verses 11 and following, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And that this bringing of salvation to all people, having this, trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age. 
A self-controlled, godly life. A life of integrity that doesn't deteriorate, that doesn't get defiled, that remains pure. All because of the salvation we have received. Then waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God, Jesus Christ our Savior, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people of his own possession who are just as zealous for those good works. See, it is possible to live this life of integrity, to not lose self-control, to not fall into the ways of this world, to be able to see the world with his eyes to say this is bad and this is good because of the grace in which you have received. You have new clothes, everyone, by believing in Christ. You have a new life. Your old life of sin and worldly passions, all of those things, that is what you once were, but not anymore. So then why? Why lose self-control and give in to that? Because when you do that, you show the world that that grace that you received is ineffective. And that it isn't real. And that God isn't real. By the grace in which you are received, you are empowered, you are able to be effective, boundless, dangerous, renouncing the worldly ways, strength to be self-controlled, and a perseverance to hope without deterioration. Live that life of integrity. It is also possible, as Paul says, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we've received this grace, and what does that look like? Chapter 3, verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. But not because of works we've done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, get this, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he has poured out through us through Jesus Christ, so that being justified by grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And he goes on, he says, all of this is true and trustworthy. This is good for people. So living a life of integrity, of not having deterioration, of not defilement, of not giving out a false narrative, this is possible because you've been saved by grace, and you have the Holy Spirit inside of you who dwells richly inside of you, who washes you clean from that defilement, makes you new, and continually renews your mind about the truth, the sound doctrine of Jesus Christ. So that means whenever we get into a tempting, sinful situation, because of what Jesus has done, and his claim on your life, you now have the ability to recall the sound teaching, the sound doctrine of the word, because it dwells inside of you. If you remember, after Jesus was baptized, he was taken and led into the woods, right? And he was tempted by Satan. And every time that Satan tried to tempt him, Satan took the very words of God and twisted them and tried to present this twisted view in front of Christ. Why? So that the world would see that Jesus and God are ineffective. And every time that Satan did this three times, Jesus repeated the very words of God back to him the way that they truly are. And on the third time told him to be gone. And Satan fled. Be faithful, be true. 
live a life of Christ-centered integrity. And it's possible because it has been made done in you. You have been saved by grace. You are one with Christ, a co-heir with him. And you have the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of you that continually washes you clean and renews your mind of this truth that we have in, in Christ. So therefore, don't, don't give the world the show at once. Absolutely, we will make mistakes. That doesn't render the gospel ineffective. What this is is a charge, therefore, to try every day to take those steps and walk in the way that Christ walked So that when the world sees, they don't see you. They see the truth of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is saying to Titus, I think. Go into this land of craziness that is hostile to the message and just stand on the truth of Scripture. Teach people, raise up leaders to do the same. Have it affect their families and live a life of truth and integrity so that the world may know who Christ is, who he truly is. Let us pray. Gracious Lord Jesus, O Lord, we are not perfect. We confess that every Sunday. Every Sunday we come in here and we, and we give a confession of, uh, of our sins of how we've always fallen short, of how how we've given the world the show at once. But God, let us take this message of integrity and faith and truth, not as some ideal that we can't live up to, but as a challenge that you have empowered us and given us the aid and and the assist from the Holy Spirit to do this and try to do this each and every day. And to also know that when we do mess up, the grace abounds evermore and that we can repent and that we can come back to you and, and, and be empowered once again. Lord, let the world see the power of your forgiveness and how we respond to it and how we live this out as saved by grace people, standing on the truth of your word. Give us the power, the desire, the zealous desire to be faithful, true, and have lives filled with your integrity so that people in our midst who are seeking answers seek the truth in Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.